corriente con chinchorro y atarraya la canoa de bareja para llegar a la playa va subiendo la corriente con chinchorro y atarraya la canoa de bareja para llegar a la playa habla con la luna habla con la playa
This is Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say, on the air. Tuning you into the Latino literary renaissance in all its splendor. Interviews, teatro, rap, fiction, poetry, memorias, composer spotlights, and more. Always mas. Thank you so much for tuning in to Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say. We're broadcasting live at 100,000 watts from the fourth largest city in America. It is Tuesday, June 19th, 2018. You're listening to this 10 years later. It is a podcast, or you perhaps have looked it up at the University of Houston Digital Libraries, or perhaps you've got the transcript, which has been transcribed by a graduate student and is kept at the Houston Public Library Hispanic Archives, and you wanted to look up the day when America turned a corner. Because today is the day that you find out what you would have done when the Nazis started rounding up people. You're about to find out what you would have done in America when America started rounding up Japanese Americans for internment camps. Because right now it is starting to go down here in Texas. And at first it began in Tornillo. There were different marches out there to stop the detention center there. It's going down in our own backyard here in Houston, Texas. We'll be telling you about some actions going down. Uh, Fiel is organizing something. There is a protest at the detention center on uh, 400 Emancipation. I believe it's 419 Emancipation. It is the baby jail. That's going down Thursday. It's going down Friday. And, of course, there's even more going on. There's marches being planned. There's a planning meeting tonight that we'll be attending and telling people about. But this is a defining point. At the same time, we must keep pushing on with our agenda to free our community's voices because it's all tied in. It may seem disparate, but it's not. Had this calamity, had this crisis on democracy not going on, we would be celebrating some huge victories. And we will attend to those, though. We are going to be celebrating a major moment where Republican and Democrats united. The Texas State Board of Education voted unanimously to change the name back to our field of study as Mexican Studies. And Mexican Studies has been endorsed statewide. Texas first state to do that. Hats off to both parties. Your radio is not malfunctioning. I am about to compliment a Republican. I want to commend Republican representative from Houston, Texas State Board of Ed member Donna Bohorich, for her work in this endeavor. Also, Lawrence Allen, Democrat representative from Houston, Texas, on the Texas State Board of Education. And one another major champion, one of the, the Aztec warriors in this cause, Ruben Cortez from the Valley, who's been part of this for a long time, but jumped 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 into this initiative with us when it was a crazy idea back in um, 2013, believe it or not. So I'm so happy that it's happened in our watch. This proves that that's the Texas I believe in. I'm, that's the Texas where we unite to educate our youth, to inspire our youth, and make sure that the next generation can live the American dream. And I hope the American dream remains something powerful and is not branded into incarceration. Because that's what's at stake right now. 
we'd also be celebrating, I hadn't even had a chance to talk, the rebirth of our nationality. Powerful mural at 5900 Canal. It was first created by Leo Tenguma decades ago. Want to recognize Gonzo247. And of course, he's deflecting a lot of the attention. I get it. It was many people involved. Let's call him the brush, okay? Okay, there's artistic elements involved in many layers. Hey, you had to have a really nice brush to paint that mural. He was a very nice brush in this case. But it was powerful to be there at the unveiling and hear the word Chicano shouted in voz alta there downtown Houston, where at one point in history, that word was maligned. Chicano is celebrated. On top of it, Houston Independent School District has passed Cesar Chavez Day, Talos Huerta Day, which will be celebrated next year. These are incredible times. We must keep pushing. And, you know, I get mad, but then I get inspired. And we have to use that energy because only art can save us. So let, let's stay positive. Let's keep pushing. And let's remember that we are setting the agenda. So for those reasons... We are going to talk about these, touch on these. We've changed up our format a little bit. So instead of our typical soapbox, we are going to talk to the magic of tele, through the magic of telephone, uh, an amazing Chicana, Dr. Angela Valenzuela, and an amazing Chicano, Juan Tejeda, who have been part of this battle for, for a long time. We want to talk about what, what this victory means. Also want to let you know that the Nax Tejas Foco Summit is coming in, at the end of the month, I want you to go to that because you can find out how to spread Mexican American cities and the next mission. Because now, now that it's been endorsed, every school district, all 1,500, are going to be looking for it. We want to make sure they all get it. And just as important, we're going to stick to our show. We've planned it out. We're going to have Dr. Pamela Quiroz, director of the University of Houston Center for Mexican American Studies. We could talk to her for five weeks, one hour each time, but we're going to focus on. Land. It's going to be the Latino Arts Month next April 2019. Incredible initiative that's going to put Houston on the intergalactic map. Make sure you support it. And then also Dr. Grisel Acosta from Nueva York, the Bronx Community College in Nueva York, will be sharing her out. So we'll get to that. So right now we do want to touch bases with uh, Dr. Valenzuela. Hey, thanks for calling in. Hey, it's great to be here. First time on your show. Is it the first time? Yeah. What What were we thinking? You know, that's the worst part. We take we take geniuses for granted when we know them so well. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and of course, thank you. No, you, you've been an incredible uh, archivist, uh, intellectual professor, and of course, Houston loves you when you were here, and we're happy to share you with the University of Texas now. And of course, we we all knew you were brilliant, but your work was also part of the important research that was used to prove that the ban of ethnic studies in Arizona was unfair and American, and you were one of the key witnesses in helping overturn it. And we want to touch base with you now to talk about this incredible victory. So well, welcome to the program. Un abrazo grande. Hello. And I think we also have Juan on the air. I think we lost Angela, but we have Juan, so... We're yeah. gonna, we had the, we had Angela's introduction. We try and get her back on the air. We had a little technical difficulty there. And now, of course, Juan Tejeda from Atslan Libre Press, who has been involved with this crazy initiative. Of course, let's make something clear. We know that we stand on the shoulders of people's work for generations and decades. 
this particular etapa is, is five years long. When it was crazy to go to Texas State Board of Ed and demand mixed American studies, I want to talk to Juan to celebrate this and get what it means. Uh, thanks for joining us on the air, Juan. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. And, of course, we'll talk about the summit. We're going to have Dr. Chris Carmona next Tuesday to speak specifically about the summit, which is at the end of the month, and people can still register. But as we get Dr. Valenzuela back on the air, Juan, give us, give us a perspective of how big is this? Are we being delusional? I think this is pretty big. This is historic. This is chingon, Tony. <laughs> I know we've been involved with this for the last five years, most recently with the Texas State Board of Education. But to our understanding, and we've researched it a little bit uh, here, this is the first time in U.S. history that a state board of education approves a Mexican-American studies course. And this is the first time in Texas history that an ethnic studies course of any kind is approved at the state level. So we made history, and we're going to have to commemorate and celebrate uh, June 13th, when they took the vote, 2018, as a historic moment uh, for, you know, Mexican-American and Chicano studies uh, and for the Chicano and, and you know, Mexicano, Mexican-American people. That's beautiful. And I think you're right. We need to commemorate that date from now on and really celebrate the advent of ethnic studies. This is going to be the ethnic studies renaissance because one of the big missions has been, well, let's let's take the 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 heat and pave the way and come up with the protocol so that the other ethnic studies may follow and that will come as well so 10 years from now i'm sure we'll be looking back and giggling at the fact that people were scared but they were um so so did did you think it would happen at this stage honestly this is a beautiful occurrence to me because i did not think it would happen at at this moment uh did, did you think it was coming was it a nice surprise what's your thoughts and let me just make a point and follow up on what you said first, uh, Tony, that, I mean, I mentioned that this was a historic victory for Mexican-American studies, but in effect, as you said, it was an historic victory for all of ethnic studies in the state of Texas, and that along with this vote, they included a pathway for other ethnic studies to send in comprehensive courses in Native American studies, African-American studies, Latino studies, and Asian Pacific Islander studies, so that now people can develop these classes, get them, you know, teaks ready, and and submit them to the Texas State Board of Education, and um, we'll be able to help them through that process now that we've been through it. But it opens this pathway for all of the ethnic studies, and I think it's an historic victory for all of ethnic studies. That sounds like a renaissance to me. I think we got Dr. Valenzuela back on the air. Can you hear me, Angela? Perfect. So, sorry about that technical glitch. We lost you for a second. But uh, so, so can you put this in perspective? We, uh, we were basically talking about how this is the first State of the Union to, to put uh, for Texas State Board of Ed to um, endorse an ethnic studies course. Of course, in Arizona, it was the Department of Justice that said, you better do it. <laughs> so that, that is a little different. Not to take away from the work that they've done, of course. Um, but it's mind-boggling to think that Last year, you were there as testimony in the court case of returning the ban of Mexican American studies, and here we have the next year after the ban implementing it statewide. What are your thoughts on that as it fits into historical context? 
Well, it's all connected, really, um, and and it uh, reflects, uh, I think, something really beautiful and grassroots that is just coming, like, sprouting out of the ground from our communities. I think it reflects a level of maturation of our communities in the in various arenas, political, economic, cultural, um, and we're uh, seeing, yes, I think a renaissance, uh, in part as a result of Arizona, but but we, but of course, we know that we have a long history of advocating for cultural inclusion, um, as do other other states. A lot of it has been at the at the local level, and then sort of really you know, kind of um, you know, small scale um, ways. Um, I mean, relatively small scale. But when you add it all up, and when you see that that there is um, just this uh, um, this resonance that it has across the Southwest, and even as as far away places as Indiana and um, uh, we're seeing Oregon, they've just made ethnic studies a requirement for high school graduation. In Toronto, Canada, First Nation studies is now also um, available. Uh, I'm not sure if it's a requirement, but uh, that's a major a major um, advance for Indigenous studies in in Canada as well. Um, so I, I think, yeah, like Juan is saying, this is um, extraordinary what we're seeing. I think that what we what we always imagined was that we would uh, ultimately be at this place, uh, uh, but we didn't know when. We didn't know exactly when. <laughs> it's been rough, right, Juan? It's been a difficult road to hoe. But it is great that it happens uh, on our watch. Uh, you know, obviously with with deference to all the generations before us, so it is beautiful to be able to. To celebrate it, uh, but let's go back to that dark side, uh, Angela. Can you give us some insights into what it was like to testify there in Arizona during the Belly of the Beast? Because there were a few moments during that trial where I didn't imagine being in this beautiful space that we're experiencing now. I, I had a few moments in there where I'm like, "Oh my goodness, they're going to uphold this ban. It will spread throughout the nation. We're going to have to keep fighting for generations." Um, well, I think it, it uh, was definitely um, a, a very, very difficult case. Uh, what you have is, uh, you know, this district court, and they rarely ever rule against their state governors or state government. And so, uh, you know, the, the community had that strike against them. They had a lot of strikes against them. But, um, but I think, interestingly, um, it was the Trump administration that was so extreme that it was uh, ultimately a mirror, not only for those of us that were watching how there were parallels between what Trump was advocating for and what was happening mm. in Arizona, but the judge himself, it was a, a bench trial, so it was one man, one person, who wasn't uh, known for being progressive or liberal, in fact, was known for being conservative in court decisions, uh, but who himself was um, Judge Tashima, Wallace Tashima, was uh, uh, the, survive, the survivor of the Japanese internment camp experience. Interesting, very interesting. Mm-hmm. But as a young boy, you know, he um, uh, apparently got through that uh, uh, presumably well. He ends up going to the military, graduates from Harvard Law School, and, you know, he becomes a very successful person in this country. So um, uh, it, it, it involved, um, you know, bringing evidence to bear and uh, defending a a, a curriculum that was respectable and legitimate and data. But it was always more than that because the evidence uh, was compelling. But if, if, um, 
if you're a racist or even if you don't fashion yourself as such, it was just simply hard even for the state to believe its own numbers, the state's mm. witness to believe their own numbers, that ethnic studies correlates to higher grades, higher attendance, higher uh, graduation and college-going rates, such that the state witness himself, Thomas Haldayana, said, and I heard him say, that, well, you know, if these numbers are correct, then we should be doing this everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> everywhere. And so, I mean, that was kind of like, you threw up the flag. <laughs> said, you know, when, I mean, okay. When even the know? devil's minions have to speak the truth. Yes, yeah, Savis. <laughs> you know, the interesting, yeah, yeah. interesting thing about the that, that. Excuse uh-huh. me. Um, uh, Angela, if I may jump in just a second. Uh, the interesting thing about this course, court case is that Judge Tashima there uh, ruled that the ban and them going after Mexican-American studies in this highly successful program that they had in, in Tucson Unified School District uh, was banned because of racial animus, right, mm. Michaela? Yeah. I, there, again, it was there were many factors that, that, um, that contributed. Early on in the case, um, there was um, an attorney there from the Koromatsu Center who um, uh, represented the University of Washington? It was a law, um, a law center that um, actually comes out of Japanese civil rights that come out of that internment experience that they had. And Judge Tashima himself is Japanese, as mentioned. So mm-hmm. um, uh, it was symbolic uh, that that mm-hmm. um, that the Korumatsu was was in the house throughout the whole trial mm. and, and, and years early, consistently years early. And I, and I think really symbolically and, and through the assistance that they uh, provided directly, uh, actually saying, Judge, don't forget where you came from. And, mm. um, and interestingly awesome. enough, when the judge ruled on behalf uh, in favor of, of the plaintiffs, the teachers and the students, on that very day, President Trump visits Phoenix. Mm. And so, it, right. you know, these things are never... Um, you know, they're never coincidental. They're right. always intentional. So it was a way, basically, to trump Trump by um, by ruling in a way that, um, that uh, uh, you know, basically reflected negatively on this uh, alt-right, Nazi, fascist, conservative agenda. We're living so, fascinating moments in history, though. That really is the case. So next, yeah. next week we're going to have Dr. Juan Carmona to directly talk about the upcoming summit. Um, we, we have to wrap it up, but can you give us a, a parting sentence about the upcoming importance of the summit? And we'll have Dr. Carmona film like next week. Uh, we'll start with Dr. Valenzuela. I'll pass it on to Juan. I wanted to say that there is a connection between what's happening at the border and ethnic studies. Ethnic mm-hmm. studies is trying to address the imperial mindsets that create the uh, kind of thinking that leads to the kind of destruction, destructiveness and the ideologies that, that rationalize what's happening right now. So, uh, I mean, I think that what we're doing is so powerful because, um, because uh, it, 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 someday, someday we will have a better society, and someday we will just call this not ethnic studies but a good education. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. I love that. You, you got a parting brilliant quote like that, Juan? <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm going to defer, but I will say something that coming on the heels of this tremendous victory for Mexican-American studies and other ethnic studies here by the Texas State Board of Education, that coming up within the next couple of weeks on Saturday, June 30th here 
in San Antonio at Northwest Vista College. We're having our third statewide summit for um, Mexican-American studies in Texas schools, and we're going to have experts in the field giving breakout section, sessions and works, workshops uh, throughout the day. It's free and open to the public. Uh, you can go to our Approve Moss Facebook page, Approve Moss, and uh, scroll down, and there's information there on how you can register free and open to people, and we're going to have um, a lot of educators, experts in the field on how to implement Mexican-American studies in your communities, in your schools, in your school districts, also a special session on what are the implications of this Texas State Board of Education vote. Uh, they'll be able to offer these classes in high schools across Texas beginning next year already in 2019, 2020. Man. So it's very exciting. Uh, it's an exciting time, I think, for Mexican-American studies and and uh, Chicano studies and ethnic studies uh, in total. So if you can, um, go go through our, to our page, Approve Moss Facebook page, scroll down, and you'll see um, the uh, registration info and our poster on the third statewide summit on Mexican Studies here in San Antonio. Hopefully you can join us in a couple of Saturdays here. It's going to be really interesting, really good, especially for teachers and educators and administrators that want to know how to implement Mexican-American studies in their classrooms even. We're going to have breakout sessions and resources and what curriculum we have and uh, um, textbooks and and uh, other information that will hopefully prepare them to uh, implement these in their schools and school districts. And again, Beautiful. what this vote means for, for Moss in Texas. Thank you so much. We'll post it on Facebook. Page. Abrazos a los dos. Thank you for calling in and can't wait to see you at the summit. Gracias. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tony. And you're experiencing nuestra palabra, Latino writers having their say. This Tony Diaz, El Libertad with the crew running the board. We are, of course, changing up the format a little bit. We've changed our typical soapbox intro. We're cutting the music out so we have more time to talk to folks because, of course, we wanted to talk about these issues. There's about 200 issues. We apologize if we can get to yours, but we, we have to focus and set our own agenda. We will attend to all these issues that are going on and post them on social media. Next up, we have to talk to Dr. Quiroz, because he's going to tell us about LAN. And, of course, the the big thing is that this is a major art event, which, in my humble opinion, is pivotal in us being imagined as intellectuals. We need to hear more about it, not just to get information, but to get involved. Of course, Dr. Quiroz has her PhD from the University of Chicago. She's director of the important Center for Mexican American Studies, Professor of Sociology at the University of Houston. She's also incoming Executive Director at the National Latino Research Consortium, the Inter-University Program on Latino Research, a researcher of children, youth, and family. She's been a fellow at the Center for the Advanced Study of Behavioral Sciences, Stanford University, visiting research associate at the Autonomous University of Barcelona, I think I said that correctly, <laughs> and a research fellow at the Institute for Race and public policy at the Great City Institute. We really want to welcome her, and there's so much to talk to you about, but we're going to focus this time, and we'll have you back to talk about other issues as well, uh, about the land. Tell, tell folks why this is such a big deal. Okay. Uh, let me, if I can, if I may, I'll Please. give you a little bit of context. That um, When I came here, we joined this consortium. It's a national um, consortium of 26 
universities that have Latino research centers, or I should say, centers that focus on Latino issues. So we're part of this national network that is called the Interuniversity Program on Latino Research. One of the two programs that this IUPLR sponsors is the LAN. Uh, Latino Art Now. So that's the acronym for Latino Art Now. Latino Art Now is relatively young. It started in 2005, and it's a biennial uh, program. So it happens every two years. And um, when I joined, I was at the board of directors meeting, and they were looking for the next site for the lung. And I said, well, why not Houston? Hey, you know, right? <laughs> why not Houston? So... Um, Believe it or not, we beat out Miami, Eso. San Antonio. Next time you want some Miami, <laughs> step up. And Los Angeles. Nice. So, yeah. It, I it's, love it. It's important. It's important that we bring this here. Uh, this particular event has become the premier Latino art event in the country. So it's national. It's international. And it the the value of having it is that different cities get to highlight and feature their local artists. Now, uh, the event has been held in New York twice, Los Angeles, Washington, D.C., and the last one was held in Chicago. So by having this here, we get to join that national conversation on Latino art, and we get to highlight our artists, and not Latin American, and that's not saying there's anything wrong with Latin American artists. But, but in, in all but, fairness, yeah, typically when people say Latino art, yes. they mean folks not from the U.S., and definitely yes. not from Houston and Texas. Exactly. And we mean folks from the U.S. So, oh, that's and, beautiful. Uh, I'm also... I, I do a lot of uh, discussion with folks, engage in a lot of discussions so that they understand that this is not some special, unique. It is special and unique, but Latino art is American art. And mm -hmm. to see it as not American art, I think, is wrong. So um, we get to we get to feature our contributions to not only to Houston, but to the country and to molding this new and emerging field, which has just recently been written about uh, in the New York Times That's for thrilling. the people who like those elitists. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. and, and for our listeners, this is what you tell your tia. This is like the Latino Grammys for art, and we're going to have Houston, you have talent, también, incorporated yes. at the same time. So this is, this is really exciting. So thank you for, for, for pushing it. But now the hard work begins, I imagine. You know, it's funny. Um, the, what I thought was going to be, there is a lot of hard work, obviously. It's going to be a citywide event, and we're going to uh, have four months that we are designating the Spring of Latino Art. Yes. So all of the events that occur, the exhibits, the activities, performances, and so forth that occur in this four-month period will be flagged and promoted, and everyone will know about that. And it will culminate then in a two-and-a-half-day conference called uh, the LAN. So this conference, these events, tend to bring together um, tourists, obviously, visitors, art collectors, curators, scholars, artists, obviously, um, art critics. So it brings together a lot of folks. We're hoping to bring the public and the private arts organizations together, which will be a first for our community, I think. No, no I think you're right. And so that that's also makes it very important. And, and hopefully maybe stimulate that conversation about or having it serve as a catalyst for the conversation on a cultural center, which Houston needs very much. Mm -hmm. uh, so we have big, big goals 
big dreams, but you know, you you might as well dream big. Well, and, and no, except the thing that I want to add, the thing I want to add too, as well, is that um, we need we're going to make a list of who supports this and who doesn't, because this is a no brainer to me. Like you love us, this is an easy way to love us. And especially in this moment where I'm going to resist from bringing up the obvious sociological factors going on, the building burning down around us, we're demanding to be treated as top-notch artists. We're demanding that we cultivate the art here. This is an important vessel to bring it. And the other thing I'm going to add, too, is that any major institution, uh, I'm going to throw it out there, too, Houston Arts Alliance, of course, the Mayor City Initiative, Houston First, Texas Commission on the Arts, uh, Houston domination. I'm gonna bring them up too because those are typical, typical places that give out dough. Obviously, this is no brainer. I expect to see their names on there. I expect to see. Yeah, I'm talking to you. I'm looking at you right now. You better volunteer for this. I mean you, and bring your 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 chivas, totos chivas to to work on this. Because here's the other thing: if this is not a success, we're in trouble because the the caliber of art has been established. We know we've got the talent here, and here's the other part. With you and all the other folks that are working on this, I know there's, that there's no op- there's no obstacle, no application, no funding process that we cannot overcome because we've got a huge amount of data to to get in there. We do. we have we have a lot of participation thus far. We have uh, 28 folks who uh, organizations, arts organizations, the the ones that impress everybody, the ones <laughs> that some people don't know about. Uh, but everybody's on board. It didn't take a lot of discussion. In fact, what is remarkable is that people said, it's time. Love well, it. I would say it's past time, mm-hmm. but better late than never, right? <laughs> so um, we have a lot of participation out there. And yes, it is about getting support. And we're doing that. It's a win-win for everyone. It's a win for our community, first and foremost. It's a win for our local artists. It's a win for the city, clearly. And I think it's a win for the University of Houston, which is supporting this event uh, full force. So that's fantastic. Uh, we're excited. We're really excited. Uh, the artists are excited. We have. We're going to develop a registry of uh, Houston Latino artists. We have that registry already. Great. And that's something we never had before. So, no, exactly. You know, and and t- year matters. after year, there's talk about creating that. But I think what we overlook is that we do need sort of an infrastructure to get that going. Absolutely. So that's so important yeah. to get that done and documented for history. Oh, absolutely. Well, that's the other part of this. We want to have an end product. We don't just want, as important as it is and as wonderful as it is, this event matters. But we want something that lasts, that endures beyond this event. So to that end, we have the registry, of course. We're also doing this in partnership with the Smithsonian Latino Center, which, you know, matters and gives us another platform for when we create these end products. And one of these products is going to be an interactive digital board that's going to map out the past, present, and future of Houston's Latino art on both public and private spaces. And and that's something the city can be proud of and endures. And we we update it, right? We keep it going. Well, and I think that's powerful, too, because I know for a fact, well, Nostra Palabra is 20 years old. There's never been a lack of talent or a lack of events. There's a lack of records of that. So with this 20 years from now, we'll be like, wow, that's that's where this renaissance took off. And they can point to it, look at it. Name artists from the era. Uh, give us the name. Give us the name of a a, a big group and a, a little group. I know there's a bunch of names. You mentioned some names that people recognize. And tell us a little because I want people to know that 20 years from now, 
they may be listening to this at the Smithsonian and looking at the digital archive. We definitely hope. Um, the MFAH they're is big. on board. I, they're I big. Yeah. Big they're kind of big. Here, <laughs> Diverse Works, um, TransArt, uh, PhotoFest International. Nice. Zicardi Gallery. I just, there are 28, I can't. Well, I know Talento Bilingue yeah. de Houston of gave course, a letter of support. Mecca. Of course, Nuestra Palabra is giant, so we're not, we're not the little ones. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think that's a great reflection of, of oh, some of the, yeah. the folks, because it's rare to see all those groups in, no. in the same and, and initiative. And they all said it's time. So that, you know, that gives me hope. It's a sound party. Gives me hope. Exactly. We need hope right now. And we'll keep posting. We'll keep people posted uh, on air. So keep let us know how, how it's yes, developing. Absolutely. And then we'll make sure to inundate folks and oversaturate them with information once it's clear. But the key part is that then, so next April 2019 is going to be Latino Arts Month then, I guess. Yes, that's what we're, we're hoping for. Um also, you're going to be seeing billboards, digital boards. You're going to, yeah, we're going to have the publicity and the promotion, and we're working on that now as I speak. So it, it's not something you're going to forget. We this, won't let you. This is a great show. Now, uh, and by the way, if anyone's listening and has any doubts about how this is going to be big, maybe you were a doubter that said, hey, that ban in Arizona would not be overturned. Maybe you're a doubter that says Texas will never embrace Mexican studies. Guess what? We're about to be three for three. We just need to believe, man. That's we it. gotta believe. That's it. And work hard. And work mm-hmm. hard. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Uh, so, so Dr. Quiroz, and then of course, um, you still you're still director at Mexican Studies. <laughs> <Yes, laughs> okay, <I laughs> you're still I doing am. that stuff. Okay. This is all a part of it. I know. Well, no, and, and I think we've always looked to the Center for Mexican Studies to to take the classroom and expand it, and, and that fits in. Well, perfectly. we are we are developing. A major for Mexican American and Latino studies. It's, oh yeah! Uh, it's time. It's oh time. my goodness! Are we, are, we have amazing. to do all these. Things. Are we the first radio show where you announce that? Yes. Yes, an exclusive on this magical day because everything we say on the air today happens. Okay. <laughs> the future is now. The future is now. I'm, I'm talking to myself ten years from now because I'm going to be listening to this later and just giggling, saying, "Whoa, we were just playing with the radio and look at all this cool stuff that happened." But, uh, well, thank you so much. Thank, thank you so much for all that you do and for including us. And, of course, you've got an open invitation okay. to come back and, and promote this. I regret that, but okay. <laughs> take you up on it. No, she's not the host of the show. She's just always on. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you. Continued success, and we can't wait. I leave this. Beautiful. You're experiencing Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers, and all artists having their say and way on the air and shaping Reality. So we started off with some bad news. Guess what? I'm going to put that out there. We are all going to band together to stop these baby internment camps. We are all going to stop that right now. And guess what? This is the last, this is the last election cycle where the only topic that Latinos are talked about is immigration. We're going to be hitting them all. And guess what? When you listen to this again, Ten years later, you're going to be stunned to say, wow, you mean Texas wasn't always the leader in education in America? We calling it right now? Alexis de Texas? Alexis de Texas, man. But, hey, man, you guys did a great job last week, too, while we were at the Texas State Board of Ed. Se aventaron. Oh, yeah, man. Like I said, it was nerve-wracking, but 
you know, got the heart racing. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I love it. And, of course, hey, introduce everyone in La Cabina because you guys are the crew that keep, keep things going. All right. They're pointing at each other. We can't hear you point. Hello, it's Jay. This is Nuestra Palabra. Hey, this is Marlon. How's everybody doing today? Uh, this is Letty. What's up? <laughs> and thanks for putting together another great show. Got a great lineup. Got a great promo. I'm looking forward to posting this online as well, like we did last week's show. And, of course, looking forward to our next guest. Now, are we going to do a musical break, or yeah. are we going to write to them? Right now, we got queued up a Carlos Santana song called... At Eso. Waves Within, man. This this song is really special to me, first of all, because it's, it's a really a fusion of jazz roots, you know, the American roots, but with a Latino twist, man. You're going to love it. Just, You're talking me into it. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I'm going to play for you now. Soundtrack to a revolution. Cool sounds. Good good work, Alessi, the Texas. Also want to let folks know that this Thursday there will be a demonstration against the Houston Child Detention Center. I hate even being able to say, to say that name. Thursday, 5 to 7 p.m. at 419 Emancipation. Also, Fiel will be back out there Friday. That will be Friday, June 22nd, 6 p.m. Memorize that address, 419 Emancipation Avenue. The irony of that name, say no Take our kids in cages. Now we're going to bring it back to poetry and literature to save the American imagination. We're very happy to have on the air with us Dr. Gisela Costa. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Thank you so much for having me. No, it is wonderful. And we want to let folks know that you're an associate professor in English in the English department at the Bronx Community College, City University of Nueva York. You've, <laughs> <laughs> you've published the Rutledge Companion to Latino Literature. American. Oh, I have I have a, an article in that. <laughs> you have an article in that. Uh, also, American Studies Journal, Dialogo, 
African American Women in Language, The Handbook on Latinos in Education, Western American Literature, Patterson Literary Review, Pembroke Magazine, Chicana Latina Studies, the Journal of Mujeres Activas en Letras y Cambio Social. You are an honorary Mocondo Fellow, a Geraldine Judge Foundation Poet, a Creative Capital Scholar, and a member of the Aspen Institute. It's wonderful to have you here. Thank you. Well, thanks again for having me. And um, I would love to tell you about a new project that I have. Uh, that's called Latina Outsiders, Remaking Latina Identity. And I think that it really connects to everything that you've been talking about on the show so far. I really want to thank all the folks in the South who have set this incredible precedent for Mexican-American studies. Um, the Bronx is 60% Latino. Wow. Mexicanos, wow. who have just come into the country, are the largest growing population in the Bronx right now. Incredible. Yes, incredible. And uh, a lot of the women in this anthology that is currently under negotiation and, and contract, so it's going to come out next year, um, Latina Outsiders Remaking Latina Identity, they're from all over the country, and they're speaking to this idea of being outside, being uh, not exactly focused on properly, the stereotype of what a Latina is. Mm. Um, and... It's not necessarily something that we've taken to be completely negative. Some of us have used that outsider status to focus on the strengths that we have as outsiders. So just some of the women that are in this anthology, Kristen Millar is the young, which is, uh, she is Seattle-based, and she's a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist. Carmen Jimenez-Smith and Analicia Sotelo, who are awarded authors and community leaders. Gloria Rodriguez, who's a young lord and a community leader. Um, she was a young lord, okay, right. not currently, but right. back then, back in the day. Marina Gutierrez, who is uh, director of the Saturday program at the Cooper Union, which is an arts college in, in New York, and she has permanent public art all over New York City. And then Catherine Watson, who focuses on Laura Varela's native art uh, that was done outside of the Alamo and projected on to yeah. the Alamo. So it's it's a varied anthology with scholarly work, visual art, uh, testimonial, creative work, and I really think that it's going to show um, what it feels like to be outside of the mainstream. Latinas, by nature, are treated as if they are outside. Mm. Um, and I think that... It also is going to show the beautiful things that women have done, Latina women have done, in order to uh, make that outsider status into something that would not defeat them, but something that they can draw strength from and create beauty out of. Uh, so so I just beautiful. wanted to tell you about that. Yeah, no, that's beautiful. And, and, of course, we can anticipate it. And I'm hoping that between now and then, Either we can get someone to fly out some of the writers and yourself when you launch the book. Definitely, please, estás en casa. We hope that por lo menos podemos entrevistar algunas escritoras cuando van a lanzar esa obra potente. But it would also be beautiful. Keep it in mind. And me encantaría, me encantaría. Oh, we would love to visit your studio and, and talk about the work in the anthology. Absolutely. That is beautiful. So I'm, I'm glad that you privilege us 
by being among the first radio stations to announce that. So that oh, means, you're the first. Eso, an exclusive. Another. Eh? I see. That's how we roll. <laughs> first a lot today. That's right. That is incredible. Now, how long have you been working on this project? Well, I have to say, as someone who grew up in the punk movement of the 80s, uh, you know, this has kind of been something that's been a project for my whole life. Mm. Um, as an Afro-Latina, someone who's half Colombian, half Cuban, I grew up in Chicago. I grew up in Logan Square. We all know Logan Square is incredibly gentrified right now. I had a variety of, of outsider statuses. <laughs> um, so I've always known what it's like to kind of be within, but also without, and it gives you this broader perspective, which, you know, it can be painful, but I also love because it allows me to create bridges, you know? Mm. Um, so this has been a lifelong project, but now I have the education, the connections, and the drive to to bring it to a larger audience, to bring that perspective to a, a wider audience. Which is beautiful. And, and, and I can just imagine how your students are going to benefit from this. I want to hear more about this project and other projects, but I also want a little insight into uh, what, it's, what it's like to bring this, this part of the Renaissance to the students at, uh, at the um, community college that you teach at. Because, of course, we work with community college and high school students in Houston, Texas. I imagine they have a lot in common, too, a mejor, no? Yes, absolutely. You know, I have to tell you, I share the film Precious Knowledge with them. Mm. And as a professor of Latino literature, um, you know, I impress upon them the, uh, the precariousness that uh, Latino studies, uh, Mexican-American studies, ethnic studies, uh, the precarious uh, status that it has. In, in colleges, it's very, very new. They may not know it themselves because they're so young, but it is very new, and it's something that one has to continually fight for. So when they see precious knowledge, they're absolutely flabbergasted. And I tell them, you know, that happened in Arizona, and they continue to fight. And, and thank God, the wonderful news today, this is wonderful, but they have had to continue to fight for uh, the right to study one's own ethnic mm -hmm. history and, and literature and, and all of that. And, and the students, they don't realize it can come to New York. It right. can go anywhere. So we have to fight and, and take that precedent that all of you have set and, and implement it all over. You know, I, again, I cannot express how important everything that you've announced today is to the entire country. No, gracias, gracias. And it does our heart a lot of good to touch bases with uh, Familia in Nueva York, where we can understand how much we have in common and how our differences are beautiful and we can help each other, you know, succeed and thrive and, and push on. They absolutely love being inspired by the students down there. Absolutely. I love it. Now, yo sé que usted es poeta también. No sé si tiene algunas obras para compartir. I don't want to put you on the spot, but... It no, be... no. Tengo una obra. Se llama Stolen Guavas. And this was published in Pembroke Magazine in 2008. I want to uh, explain a few things before I read it. And the, the first thing is, this is a memory that I have from when I was seven years old. That's 40 years ago. And this is just a tiny, tiny little sliver of what these young children m might be feeling in the South at the border right now. Mm. I, thank God, have never been fully separated from my family, but this was an incident 
where we were coming back into the country from Colombia, and there was a brief separation. So I just want to read this poem uh, regarding that. And, and imagine, if it's just this brief thing that I experienced, imagine a day, a week, a month, a year. So stolen guavas. Colombia smells like green guavas and wet salt. I can smell it when mommy and papi arrive from a trip. Their skin, the luggage, has steeped inside the humid soup. A dark green soldier's uniform is what the scent reveals within deep, shadowed memory. My own trip as a child with my brother. No, the soldier was wearing blue? Wait. Maybe two soldiers? Two sides? You can't bring back fresh fruit. Only its scent. The green soldier with brown skin said no words. Did he assume we only spoke English? The blue soldier made sounds that invented the meaning of sarcasm. The green soldier searched us together. The blue soldier separated us. Cold, tall adults, skinny room, woman, smiles, scared. Where's Louis? Why? What? I don't know. Cold, dead, smile, bright lights, mommy, papi? Why? Cousins, family, guavas, beach, so small, so small, tiny me, tables tower above, no kids, only me. Why? Where's Louis? Mommy, Papi, home. What? Where? Louis and I were green. Our first viaje to Colombia without Mommy and Papi. I took my little pillow, but I hid it. I stopped sucking my thumb so my cousins wouldn't make fun. Upon our return, we hid the guavas in Louis's shoes. A crime was committed. The blue soldier stole the guavas from us. And that's it. Oh, that's that's powerful. That is powerful, especially with the the imagery, the young sensibility. But it is heartbreaking to think how how you're right. I mean, very touching and potent visceral piece with such powerful imagery. Y estos niños pequeños que están sufriendo eso ahorita, who who don't have the uh, wisdom or intelligence to put into words. I, I can I can barely imagine how it's breaking them. Yo no entendí lo que estaba pasando. Mm. I did not understand what was happening. And to this day, 47 years old, I remember it like it was yesterday. I remember it like it was yesterday. I, I feel it on my skin. Mm. It scared me. I didn't know who these people were asking me questions. It terrified me. This is torture. And that was just, what, maybe 10, 20 minutes I was separated from my brother? And and you could tell what you 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 sentía you you understood the profound impact of what was going on, and, and I think I think too what breaks my heart is that there will be exceptional cases like yourself who can survive that sort of trauma, but it you know it breaks my heart where you know you could go to an American suburb and, and and ordinary kids can go through ordinary lives and not be exceptional and live incredible lives, and here these young kids are going to get 
broken. But your poetry heals us acá en el sur donde está pasando. So, so it really is great to, to heal us. Thank you so much for the work you do. I just try to share my experience again. I, I, I hope that these young children, they find their angels and they, at some point, the arts touch them and they can share. They can share what they're going through because that's the only way to change and make sure that it never happens. You have to write it down. You have to share it just like these folks in ethnic studies and Mexican-American studies are sharing the words of our antepasados with us. That's how we learn. And, and you know what? I mean, I, I got to admit, I started the show very angry because of what's going on. But speaking with, with the folks we got to chat with and then and, and your art and your work, I'm taking that energy and we're fired up. Are you fired up, Alexis? Letty? I'm fired up. Eso. I'm fired up too. Eso. I see. I'm ready to do the good work. Love it. You honor us by calling in. Es su casa. Continued success. And we can't wait to talk to you again. Thank you so much. Gracias, Dr. Costa, desde Nueva York. Hey, familia, you guys, you guys threw down hard. Great job today. Seamless broadcast. And I think uh, I, I really am feeling this intellectual adrenaline buzz. And uh, I think you got a few announcements. What you got, what you got to yes, announce? Yes, we have gotten a letter from Ricardo, Ricardo Vargas. Um, he was just thanking us for, you know, when Andran Madrano was yeah. on. The, the, the sound of the, what was that thing? How do you say that? The molcajete. Molcajete, yeah, that he was. I love like, it. He was just telling us all about it. You know? I love it. Yeah, and he was, he was giving us props for it. And he he told him he took him back to childhood. So the power of sound, man. And words. And, and words. And what we do. So mm-hmm. appreciate that. Only art can save us. Really love all that you guys are. are all the blood, sweat, and tears you're giving to the show. Our listeners, thank you for years of support. You know what? We're gonna get through this. We're gonna we get are. through this. And at the end of the day, we look back and say, nos unimos. We were just, we were right, y lo logramos. So, hey, this is Tony Diaz, Libro Traficante. Alexis de Texas, Libro Traficante. J.A., Libro Traficante. And this is Marlon. Yeah, have a good one. Thanks so much. We'll see you at some of those demonstrations. Stay tuned, and we'll see you next week. Ciao. Disfruta de una tarde de música y poesía. KPFT y Son Pacífica te invitan al Festival de Verano, evento a beneficio de la estación. La música a cargo de Rubén Moreno y su Blues Rock and Psychic Band. El jazz, el blues y la voz de Evelyn Rubio y su grupo. Bayou City Swing con su Gypsy Jazz Style Music y la música electrónica y ritmos alternativos de No Te Mueras en Mi Casa. La poesía con los escritores cronopios de Houston, Miriam Damaris y Enrique Infante y la escritora Leslie Contreras Schwartz. Ven y diviértete con nosotros. La cita es en el Fitzgerald's 2706 White Oak Drive el domingo 22 de julio a las 2 de la tarde, KPFT Houston.
forested land around our bayous act as the kidneys of the water system. They clean out pollutants and help manage flooding in times of high rainfall. Preventing more Houston land from being covered in concrete ensures that more of the precious little water that falls has the ability to soak into the ground 